All right. So now we're starting, and thanks for the clock. <laughs> Although it's okay, I'll be yeah. All right. A, a week ago, I told you that we were done with our simple series. Our simple series was this thing that we were doing where we were looking at these values, Sunday church, devotional, small groups, threefold serving, and outreach. These things that we think are critical aspects of what it is to walk in the Lord in fullness. And we came up with those through prayer and through study and through a whole lot of things. And just to understand what are the critical variables that if we can help people do these well, the way that they're able to walk with the Lord will be dynamic and growing and inspirational and it'll just fill them with a fullness, right? And so what we did is, is that we've been looking at all these kinds of things and we got done with the sixth one last week and I said, we're done with our simple series. And I just want to tell you, I lied. <laughs> now, I didn't mean to lie, <laughs> okay? It wasn't my intention to lie. Uh, I don't know. Any, 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 any thoughts there? Okay, there you go. All right, so it wasn't my intention. It wasn't, you know, what, what I meant to do. But the bottom line was, and this is why, I just can't, I'm so excited about this sermon. I'm sorry, I'm tripping over myself a, little, myself a little bit because what's happening in this church is God is leading us in this unbelievably intimate way. I mean, it literally is week to week that the Lord is revealing something and then taking us somewhere and then revealing something and taking us somewhere. And he is moving us on a journey that frankly started in earnest about three years ago, as you're going to hear about. In that he really started saying something, which you're now going to see all kinds of stuff about, but he really started moving his body to the depth of what he was seeing, as opposed to what it looked like to us. Because what it looked like to us was incredibly different than what God was seeing. And now we're getting all kinds of stuff that's saying that that's true. But this sermon is going to go right to the very heart of the things that are most on God's heart. And the thing that's amazing that you will see, we've been there already. It's now just becoming obvious to the whole of the American church. But God has been speaking it to us through prayer and frankly, through your guys' responses. And I think any time we as Christians will go after the Lord and ask Him what it is that He's doing, and then we'll actually start doing it, I think the Lord is so delighted to come and, and join that and to take you where you would have otherwise not gone if you hadn't have sought Him and responded to what He was leading. And I just want to say, I am blown away by this family. And what you're doing, and I think by the time we're done with the sermon, you're going to be saying, wow, that is really cool. So that's where we're headed today. Zach Rogers, wherever you are. There you are, Zach. Okay, awesome. Uh, Zach Rogers is praying for the church and lift up the sermon and pray for another church, would you? Father God, we just come before you this morning. Uh, you're awesome. And we are privileged to be uh, in an exceptional church. I mean, we are blessed. And uh, we want to lift up uh, our church, of course, um, and our pastor, and just everything that we're doing here. You are amazing. Uh, you're putting amazing things on the hearts of your congregation. Amen. And we want to function the way that you uh, want your body to work. And Father, I also uh, pray for the Toril Foursquare Church in the Philippines in Mindanao. Mm. I just pray, God, for the pastor, for the congregation, for um, just an outpouring to take place there, God. It's Amen. just, I feel there's a sense of oppression, and we just want to ask that your spirit lift that, God, in Jesus' name. 
And we really just want revival to start taking place throughout our churches everywhere. Who cares the denomination? Just your spirit moving in power and in glory. And we just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All God's people, amen, so be it. All right. Now, three years ago, those of you who have been around for a while, I'm going to repeat just a couple of things that you've heard before, but we've got to get everybody on the same page so that we can move to this other stuff. Three years ago, I'm on my walk, and three years ago, this is, this is 2009-ish, and the crash has happened, but really, when you looked around the church world, the church was actually doing really well. The crash had actually brought people in, and, and the finances were still good, and things were still going on, and, and church, church as a whole in America looked very good. And if you went to conferences and so on, you didn't find anybody talking about there being a problem in the church. Quite the opposite. The spirit was, there wasn't a problem. Things were going really well. How do we do them even better kind of deal? That was what was happening in the church world. If, if you're in it, and I am, and so are you. But I get to do it with conferences and so on. And, and the bottom line is, is that to my huge surprise, as I'm on my devotional walk up in Viewcrest there, and I'm walking through Viewcrest, and all of a sudden the Lord speaks to me, and he says, I am incredibly unhappy with the church. I am just, the church is in a desperate state and has no clue about it. And I am going to shake it. I'm going to, and you, might, you all know this phrase, I'm going to blow it up. And that's why I came back and I started saying, I don't know, you know, week after week, God's saying this thing to me. And I think he wants to blow up church by which what we, what, what we meant was is church isn't about Sunday morning. Church is about a family, a body of Christ being in the community, making a difference. And we started doing things like not having Sunday service here so we could go serve at Stevenson or down at Jubilee Reach or other places. We could get together with other churches and serve. That we would do things that were out of the box so that people didn't think of church as coming to church here on Sunday. But they started thinking of it as the body of Christ in action in the community. And sure enough, people really responded to that. You remember we went around, we, we knocked on all the doors of our neighbors, and we did all kinds of different things, and we're still doing those kinds of things. But then over time, in about another, what was it, nine months, he started talking about, look, the problem is the pros. And by, what he meant by that was, and this took us a long time, I'm sort of going through this very quickly, but the bottom line is, is that what churches have done in their prosperity is they've hired pastors to take on the leadership roles of ministries, and and they've taken ministry from the body. They've put it with the pros, and it was supposed to be in the body, and I want it in the body because that's where I can then disciple people. When people are owning ministry, it's the coolest thing in the world, and it's also hell. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, there's all kinds of tough things that take place, and there's all kinds of glorious things, and that's what a walk with Christ is as you are doing things, as you're growing in him and so on. And so we started making this huge move that was incredibly painful in a lot of very personal ways. Losing Troy Smith, you guys, that was still like losing a spouse almost. That's how close we were. I mean, we were just completely connected, and it was, it was just, there's still this hole in my heart. You know, and I'm sure a lot of other people, but Dan Lorenzo too, and Jeff Aldridge, and all these people that were doing such incredible things in such an incredible way. But... Even they were on board with, you know what, God really is calling this body to doing something, and they've been doing it. And we said when we first started this, which would have been about two years ago now, the steering team stuff, we said, it'll take about two years for us even to figure out whether or not this is viable. I just need to go to a very important place here. I want you to hear my heart. I'm telling you, when God first started talking to me about this, I, I was not like the on-board happy camper guy. 
I was not the guy who's saying, rah, rah, this is awesome. Literally, when God started revealing to me what he wanted to do and the way that he was going to do it, my first response to him, when, he, when I, I really got it, I really, even remember what part of the walk I was on when this happened. And God, all of a sudden, I really got it. You know, it takes months to really get it. You know what I mean? You just got to keep praying and keep seeking and keep thinking and keep going. And, and, it, and all of a sudden, I just got it, how much he was serious about this and how much he was going to actually do when it all got over with. And it, wasn't a two, it was two years to see if it was even viable. It's five years for it to even really kick in in the way that he would want. It was just a huge thing. And my first thought to him was, is, God, people won't do this. They just have too busy. They got too much going on in their lives. They're too busy. And literally, that was my response to him, was, God, people won't do this. <laughs> and I, I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't really expecting anything. I was just sort of vent, not, not venting even. I was just kind of saying, I don't think people will do this. And I thought God might say something back to me, like he normally does. And instead, I just got this long, pregnant pause, silence, that clearly communicated to me, so? They have a choice. It's up to them. If, and, and I told you guys this back then. I said, we're either going to make choices that are going to move us down the road, in which case God will do incredible things, or we're going to go Europe. Just an increasing lack. And it'll just go at an increasing pace to a dead, lifeless, you know, marginalized thing in society. And... and when I realized that, and then on another day I'm walking, and all of a sudden he tells me Troy's going too. And this is before Troy had a job off or anything else, and, but God told me. And, and, and I'm sitting there, and I was like, oh, this is not fair. I don't want this. You know what I mean? You know, just roll it up to there, but not any further, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I just, when I really realized everything that would be, you know, the, the pain of losing people that we love, and the extra work, and the extra engagement, and the, the difficulties, and, you know, we're really finding our way through a thicket, and are we going to do it well, and everything else, and I really said this to God, I, and I've told you this before, but I said, I said, I don't think that we'll make it. I really said to God, I might, and I told you guys this, I said, I think we got a 15% chance of actually succeeding. That's how low it was in my heart. Because I'm not that great a manager, and people are people, and I just, that's how concerned I really was about what he was telling us, telling me to do. And, and I said that here, I said, I think we got about a 15% chance of success. Two years later, I have to say, we're all the way up to somewhere just over 50%. <laughs> so I actually think we're going to succeed. But we still have a lot of work to do. I get it. But the bottom line is, is when I said that to him, I said, you know, I'm human, right? I said, God, I love this church. I could ruin it easily just by not being a good manager. By trying to be obedient, I could easily ruin this church. I'd be out, you know, this age and ruining a church. You probably don't get another job. You know, this could be, this was a big, this was a real moment for me before the Lord. And I said to him, you know, I could lose my job. And I didn't mean job wasn't the point. It was this. And I was like, you know. <laughs> now, I, I don't know. When I said that, I think I was kind of expecting him to do what he oftentimes does, which is tell me a comforting word. <laughs> you know, it's okay. I'll be in it. It'll be hard, but I'll take care of you. It's going to be okay. But I said that to him, and I said what I got back was another one of those long, pregnant silences. 
where he was saying so, literally what came into my heart was, is you may fail, but if people will listen to me, somebody's going to succeed. And when they do, the church is going to know what to do next. Now, can I just tell you, that wasn't very comforting. <laughs> there's a lot smarter people out there than me, and there's a lot people that are a lot better at managerial type things. So this was not, this was not easy. This was not, this whole process wasn't one that, now, the other side of me, right, there's one side of me that has this concern that I've been talking about. There's another side of me that is embracing, here's the thing that makes my bones burn, you know, as the prophet said of old. He said, my bones burn within me to get this thing of God out. Can I just tell you, when he starts speaking these things about people going deeper in the Lord, my bones burn within me. I mean, even though it may cost me everything, I don't care. Not really. And the reason why is because the thought that people would grab a hold of God and get a hold of him more deeply. I have been watching for years people coming to church and, and really knowing the Lord and really loving him, but there's just this missing piece of there's some people that are getting further along, and most people are not. And they haven't really fallen in love with Jesus. Not just in love with Jesus, but they haven't gotten to this place of utter surrender unto the best God that you could ever even imagine, and then some. This God that you can trust with everything that's in your life. And my bones burn within me, as you know, and I'm willing to take major risks in order to try and move us closer, in order to try and get us a step closer to where we really are encountering the real God. That's what's important to me. And, and, and if, I, if that is ever not what is driving me, then I should leave because you don't have a good pastor anymore because I'm not shepherding. I'm now, being, I'm now following trends or I'm doing something else entirely, but it isn't a godly thing. It isn't being led by the Lord where he wants to take us across deserts but into promised lands. Now, having said all that, and this is kind of catching everybody up who hasn't been here, I just want to show you, this is only the latest study. It, it, four years ago, you never saw studies like this. Now, they come out almost every month. There's another huge study from Gallup or Barna or, or uh, Pew, which is this one is from. Many of you probably saw this just recently in the paper. Pew just came out with their, they do these huge studies every once in a while about trends and so on. And they become incredibly formative because they open our eyes to things that we have not seen. And, and here's the thing that this says. This is, this is one of their charts. Over the past few years, the number of Americans, this is from 2007 to 12, so five years now. Okay? And I want, to, I want to make you understand, this trend on Protestant, you see it's going down? This trend on Protestantism is increasing in, in severity. Okay? Protestantism is now, for the first time, under 48%, under 50%. Think about that for a second. How was America formed? I mean, the Native Americans were here first, but then Europeans fleeing religious persecution came here. That, so it was pr pretty much Anglo-white, okay, that was coming over here in order to pursue religion, and they were Protestants. So to get under 50%, that's a big problem. Do understand, this is people who self-identify as being Protestant. You know what that means? That means they, they just, you know, they got to pick something. In surveying of religious things, they have something that you need to understand. It's called the halo effect. And the halo effect is this. When people are talking to a researcher, they want to look more religious than they actually are. So they over-report their church going, their giving, their service, their, their affiliations, all these kinds of things. They just do. They over-report hugely. But this isn't even asking for, an, there's, so there's an over-reporting in this. 
But what's really going on is these are just people that are saying, I'm Protestant. That doesn't mean they go to church. That doesn't mean that they do anything. That doesn't mean they follow God. That doesn't mean they may pray when they're in trouble and they may pray every, one, every other once in a while. So they have some connection with God. But they are not in any way, shape, or form anywhere near what someone would call having a dynamic, intimate, growing relationship in Christ. In fact, of the total population right now of every ethnicity, it, we're, we're looking at that as probably being approaching 10% of the total population. The church-going population is hovering somewhere in the, in the teens, and it's headed down to the low teens already, but even that, not every person in church and so on. So we're, these numbers are communicating something that is actually quite devastating, and it's actually much worse than what the numbers are. <laughs> and I, if you just read them properly, you want to know the fastest-growing segment of America today? Look at the black line down there. They call it the nuns. You're going to hear this word more and more in, in any Christian literature and people talking about it and so on. The nuns, here's what that means. They don't claim any religious affiliation whatsoever and they are intentionally not looking for any. They don't believe that there's a God. They're not looking for any answers. They don't believe that the answers that are there are true and they are purposefully identifying themselves as I don't believe in that stuff and I'm never going to. That's, how, that's what they call them, the nuns. That's the fastest growing segment. In fact, at this point in time, just now watch it statistically, okay? In the 65 and older population, I can't remember what the number is, but it's like 15% call themselves a nuns. In the under 30 generation, what do you think it is? It's at 30% now. And, and that is underreported. That's over or overreporting, depending on how you look at the halo effect. You see what I'm saying? So the point is, in the younger generation, as the olders are dying off, there's this huge, this is why statisticians say, by the year 2035, if trends don't reverse, Christianity will be at the same place that it is in Europe, which is to say, a completely marginalized activity in the culture, having no bearing at all on the culture itself. The culture will not identify itself as Christian, it won't act Christian ways, and it won't believe in any of that, and there'll be a marginal population that's involved in it. That's what these numbers are saying. And this is Pew. This is incredibly reliable research. I find that frightening. <laughs> no, it's not frightening. You know why? Because God's bigger. Right? I mean, God can do things like get a hold of a pastor that's on a walk and start talking to him about what's actually going on so that you can start making some adjustments to it so that you can do something about it. Here's the thing, when you get below the numbers and you start looking at the research and what it's actually saying, here's the thing that's been going on. And we should have known this. Because like if we actually read our Bibles, we would have known that Christianity was something different than what we were making. Because here's what we started to make it, and what we've been making it ever since the boomers got a hold of it. Okay? And what the boomers said was, is we're culturally irrelevant. That's true. That was incredibly true. And so what we have to become is culturally relevant. And we started calling that seeker-sensitive. And what happened was is that we, we said, we're just going to lower the entry bar because once people get in there, they're going to find God and they're going to grow and they're going to do all these kinds of things. Well, here's what the research tells us years after that experiment was started now. The research tells us that what's effectively happened in the church world, in the world, with Christians and churches, is inoculation. 
We dumbed it down. We dumbed religion down. We dumbed the relationship with God down so far. We watered it down so much that people were coming into the churches because they had great community and because they had concerts and because they had all these fun things and all this kind of stuff. And actually, we were thinking that they were going to grow, but actually what they did was they just stayed at this very superficial level to where when Jesus talking about the seed being sown and some of it goes and the root goes down shallow and when the thing comes up and the hot sun comes, it kills it. And what happens is, is that when people undergo persecution or just getting choked out by the cares of the world, what they do ultimately with that is, is that they say, I tried religion. It didn't work. It was made out to be this really great thing. I tried it. Yeah, there was something there, mm, but not really. And so they walk away. Now that's what these numbers are reflecting. That's one of the trends. Another trend that they're reflecting, which is in the very same vein, is it turns out that the churches that are, that are doing this, and I, there's a lot of good churches that are doing things that are innovative and culturally relevant and all that kind of stuff. You know, that, there's, a, there's always truth and there's always problems, right? But the bottom line is, is that one of the other things is, is that the way that we've been doing Christianity in the last 20 years or so has actually been providing an excellent off-ramp from Christ. Because we've just dumbed it down and we've consumed it. We've lowest common denominator it so much that even people that were used to eating meat were enjoying milk and then they eventually just lose the habit. And they're off the ramp. They're off the freeway. They, they just go. And every, people are shaking their heads because you know people that have, that have done this. You know, the funny thing is, you know, the way that the Bible talks about all this kind of stuff is the exact opposite, right? Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you've got to do something difficult. <laughs> It isn't lowering the bar. You, you, got, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross daily. What's take up your cross daily mean? You've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to the stuff that you want. We make ourselves culturally attractive, which is to say we're attracted because we're so much like the world that in essence we actually are the world. <laughs> and he's saying don't be the world. He's saying you've got to die to the stuff that your flesh wants so that you can go after the stuff that your spirit is craving after, and it's not always easy. So he's saying... You know, you've you, you got to do this kind of stuff. And then he says at another point, woe to you when all people speak well of you. That doesn't mean woe to you when you have a good reputation. You're supposed to have a good reputation. What it means is when the whole world is applauding how you're doing things, then it means that they're bearing witness to what you're doing. And given that they're fallen in nature, they're bearing witness to your fallenness. <laughs> Not to your holiness. Not to your godliness, not to your, the depth of your relationship with Christ. That is abhorrent. See? So this is what's happening. I mean, the truth is, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's Jesus in Revelation. What I really think happened was this right here. They will act religious, but they'll reject the power that could have made them godly. He says stay away from people like that, not make churches like that. <laughs> it, the, the truth is, there is a power in relationship. There is a truth to be found that only happens through death. It only happens through surrender. It only happens because you make a choice to move towards him. And you understand that there's a tower and a cost of the tower to be counted. And you don't, you undertake it knowing that it's going to cost you things that you want in part of yourself. 
but it's going to replace it with things that surpass it transcendently in Christ. And this is the thing that you hear me crying all the time. I mean, it, it, is that about my biggest message right there? So between that and devotionals, right? Which devotionals is this? Finding God in a way that he comes alive in your life so that it's no longer an issue whatsoever about all of the religious stuff and, and all this. I, I had a great conversation with a person yesterday who's, who's pursuing God hard. And he's really trying to get to some things, and it was a very deep intellectual conversation. But at one point in time, he's had a really tough thing happen in his life, and so did I. And at one point in time, I said, the interesting thing about my relationship with Christ is, is that there came a point in my life that was so difficult that I would wake up every morning saying, God, I cannot take any more of this. And this was for years. I'm not talking about a week or a month. I'm talking for years. I was saying, God, I cannot take one more thing. And I was expecting him to agree with me. <laughs> and so I, my little saying is, I, went to, I woke up every morning saying, God, I cannot take one more thing and going to bed discovering that I actually could. <laughs> Which is incredibly unpleasant. But then there came a point when all of a sudden, my relationship with Christ transcended my circumstances, and I, don't, I cannot promise you that it will always be divorced from my circumstances, but all I can tell you is I felt more free than I've ever felt in my life. My relationship with Christ had no connection whatsoever to if things were going well or poorly. Instead, I knew that everything that was happening to me, no matter how difficult it might be, was Him causing all things to work together for good. I knew that in my heart. And it didn't matter if things really sucked and I didn't understand why. The bottom line was is that he was taking me someplace that was glorious and I didn't care what was happening to me anymore. And I wasn't able to be tossed around by the winds and the waves anymore. I had built my house on the rock. Right? That's where we got to get. We have to get there. <laughs> and the cool thing is is that, you know, we can because you see, there is a path in there. Now, yeah, it hasn't been used in a long time because we thought some other things were good and we emphasized one thing over another and we lost the fullness of the gospel and we lost the fullness of the incredibleness of the, both the hard and the glorious and all this kind of stuff. And you see there's got blackwood in it, would you, or uh, blackberry. Would you like to try and walk down that path right now? Right? I mean, you wouldn't get very far to where you just said, I got to turn around and go back. But what you do is you take out that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word, and you start hacking away at the stuff that's trying to trip you up, that's trying to snag you, right? And as you start hacking away at that stuff, you all of a sudden discover that there really is a path that God laid out at the very beginning, way back in the Bible, that said, here's how you do Christianity. Here's what it's about. Do this, and you will be on this path. So I feel like what's happening in the church world, what started with us three years ago, and what is now trickling into, to where just this last week I'm at a conference, and there were, four, there were five speakers. Most of them were just talking about normal stuff that you hear at conferences. One guy stood up there, a guy from Post Falls, Post Falls Idaho. Anybody know where Post Falls, Idaho is? You don't know where Post Falls, Idaho is unless you're going through it at some point in your life, because it's definitely not someplace you're going to. Okay? Now, it is on the way to a pretty cool place, which is Coeur d'Alene and then Montana and so on. But the bottom line is, Post Falls, Idaho is nothing. And this guy stood up, and I, I thought he was a pastor of just a little bitty church or something. And I was just listening, and I was kind of working and listening, trying to figure out if was, this guy was worth listening to. And I'm sorry, I'm terrible. But, but the bottom line is, is he started talking about this. 
and in the most clear, simple, easy, true way. He started talking about how poor and blind and naked we really were, and we didn't know it. And that God was calling his church to something different. And I'm telling you, it lit up the room. I mean, even people that aren't there yet. But I'm telling you, if he'd have done that three or four years ago, people would have said, what are you talking about? This is just not true. It was true. We just didn't see it. Now, it turns out this guy has 10,000 people going to his church in Post Falls, Idaho. <laughs> and 9,200 of them are in small groups. Just think about that for a second. This guy's got a hold of what is real, and he's just pushing the button on what is real, and he's pushing the button, and he's pushing the button, and he's pushing the button. And it wasn't explosive growth. It was people really getting transformed and then reaching out to other people who were really getting transformed, reaching out to other, reaching out to other, reaching out to other. And all of a sudden, they're just making this incredible impact in their community. I mean, they're changing the face of their entire area, not just their town. I think, I don't know if Post Falls is 10,000 people. Here's what God's been doing. When he calls us to something, he doesn't just leave us alone. He doesn't just say, I'm calling you to do it, and I'll figure it out, and then just to stand there and wait for us to figure it out. Right? If he calls you to something, he shows you how to do it. So in a really cool way, reveal. We did this survey. Do you remember this? It was a year and a half ago. We said we were going to do another survey. Well, here we are. Okay? Only we're not doing reveal, and I'll explain that in a second. But I just want you to see something here. This comes from Willow Creek. This is one of those churches, the seeker-sensitive churches, that were really, they were the ones that invented seeker-sensitive. And they did a study about, what was it, three years ago now, and or maybe four now. And they did a study, and they spent a million bucks. And what they found out was people at the Seeker Sensitive Church says, I'm not growing. <laughs> I'm not actually growing. And they were shocked, <laughs> which nobody who looked at it was going to be shocked about. But bottom line was they were shocked, and after they got past the personal hurt of that, they did something really cool. They spent another million bucks to say, what's the problem and how do we fix it? Now, what I loved about Reveal and still love, and I'm not sure what our relationship was going to be. You're going to hear about this in a second, but I want to show you something. You know what they came up with after $2 million? They came up with their six things that are really important for a Christian. <laughs> The thing that God started talking to us about. There's six things that you really got to help people get doing because when they do them, they're more likely to encounter God. It's not if you do those things, you're guaranteed to become Christian and you're guaranteed to become dynamic. It's that people that are really growing in Christ always have these six things flowing out of them. So this is this incredibly cool thing. They spent $2 million and I spent, we spent prayer time and figured this out. But, but, but praise God for the $2 million they spent because what they came up with was a study. And what the study did, now, now just follow me here, for the first time in a long time, and this is a bit of a generalization, there were marginal elements in the church that were working on this, but for the first time, a major segment of the church was working on this. How do we measure the right things? Up until that moment in time, if you wanted to measure a church's success, how did you do it? Numbers, nickels and noses. How much money, how many people? Because if, if, if you were doing a good job, you were sure to have more people and there was sure to be more money. Now the gospel actually tells us that is not true. 
It doesn't mean it can't happen. It just means that to call people to a higher place is tough. There's a tower to be built, and it's a costly thing, and, and there's issues that are going to happen there, right? But the bottom line is, the, the, you know what the Bible never measures? Not one time ever? Nickels and noses. <laughs> it never uses that as the assessment of the success of a church. You know what it does measure all the time? These six values. They actually do this. I want to introduce you to the world's first church consultant. A guy named Paul, who goes out and plants a whole bunch of churches. And then he finds out how well they're doing. You know, he checks in. And then he writes a letter to him and says, okay, you're doing this part pretty good. This part, not so much. But look at what he's measuring. He's not measuring nickels and noses. He's measuring spiritual growth. He's measuring, are you doing well? And so he writes these, these um, what I would call, you know, everybody's been in a corporate setting at some point in time where they did an assessment, right? And you got an analysis of what you were doing right, what you're doing wrong. And how do they always start those reports? They always start with, here's what you're doing right. <laughs> right? Here's the stuff to puff you up and make you feel good. Okay? And so here's Paul doing that to the Corinthians. I always thank my God for you and the gracious gifts he has given you. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way. Wow, what a great report. This confirms what I've told you about Christ is true. And now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he's invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is an awesome report for that church, isn't it? There's only one thing I'd like to call your attention to, however. This is chapter 1, verse 4 through verse 9. By the time he gets to, I think it's verse 16, which isn't but halfway through the first chapter, he goes to another place. right? <laughs> right? He does a half a chapter of complimenting them, and then he spends 15 and a half chapters correcting them, <laughs> assessing them. This is what you're doing. This is how you ought to be doing it, because <laughs> it ain't Matt lining up. You're not getting great scores, right? In fact, when you look at his books, the first book that Paul writes that's in the Bible uh, the way that they're chronology. It's not the first book he wrote, but in the Bible, Romans of Paul's books comes first. And Romans is a letter into a church he didn't establish. It's one that's already there, and it's theological. He's sending them in strong, good theology, right? But after that, every other letter that he's writing essentially is writing to a group of people or a church that he's already started, and he's writing back to them. And in every one of these letters, you have the, the bulk of the letter is really about Here's the little thing you're doing right, and here's the thing you're not doing right. And, and there's one church that isn't, doesn't even really get the doing right part. <laughs> Their assessment comes in so poorly that he, Paul starts like this to the Galatians. May God our Father and the Lord of Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Notice how he's not really complimenting them here. He's telling them something. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. That's the closest he gets to complimenting them. And you'll note that's not really a compliment. That's more of a doctrinal statement. Because at verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, 
I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. What you're doing, and they had a church, and it was growing. And he's saying, it ain't God's church. It's not the truth. See it? So I just want to say, here's our first church assessor. You want to know who else was a really good church assessor? Because the other apostles were pretty good too. Look at their letters. But you want to know who was the best one of all? We just spent a long time studying Revelations, right? And Jesus is the one, you know, it was revealed, Revelation about Jesus. Jesus comes and he talks to seven churches. And what does he say virtually to every one of them? Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're not. Assessing, right? So he says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is one of those churches. And he's, he's assessing them. <laughs> he's giving them a scorecard. I, I, I want to say it this way. We need that. The denomination of Foursquare has just come across what we've been working on now for three years. This whole idea that the church really is in a precipitous slide, that there's a dynamic that's taking place, that the fundamental unhealth inside of our churches is growing. You, you do realize that less than 50, or no, right at 50% of the people who go to church will say that Jesus is God. Did you know that? Only 50% will say that Jesus is God. I don't know, Christian following Christ, Christ is God. I mean, that's like the most fundamental thing you can get. And when you get to things like, is Jesus the only way? You're way under 50%. When you get to things like, you know, uh, Trinity and nature of God and all these kinds of stuff, you, you, you can get down in the teens. This is churchgoers. <laughs> this is what's happening in the world. Now, I just want to say something. Again, I, I, wanna, I know that this is kind of dire in a way, but the, the really cool thing to me is, is the degree to which this church has embraced this idea. I started talking about this, and people started responding, and we started thinking about things like steering teams, and we started doing them, and people have responded, and people get it, and they're moving in it, and all this kind of stuff, and it has been extraordinary, and I want to prove to you that what I'm saying is true, rather than just being a subjective thought that we do well. I want to show you now the results of our reveal study, but I want, when I do this, I want you to understand some. Well, no, I'll, I'll do that a little differently. Watch this. Here. This is the dissatisfied profile. Okay, this is one of their major charts. And what they're saying is, the green is how average, the average church, okay? And then we're the gold. And what you'll see there is we're considerably less dissatisfied on most of the categories than are most churches. Now, can I tell you something? That was a massive shock to my system. Actually, remember I told you I was in kind of a bad place? Because I was going to the Lord and I was saying... You know, I don't know if it's going to work, and I don't know if I'm good enough to help this out, and I'm going to screw it up, and I was really nervous inside. When I got this, this was a thing from the Lord saying, you're doing okay. Not just that you're doing okay. We were actually doing quite a lot better than I thought. Callie, one of the two people that runs this whole study for them, employed full-time doing this kind of stuff, looking at thousands of churches, said, you guys are one of the most amazing churches that I've looked at in your profile. 
And there's several reasons for that, some of which we're going to get in today. But one of the things that she said was, is she said, you guys are actually really doing good. And she said, but there is one thing. She said, there seems to be an anxiety at one fundamental level, which we wouldn't normally see with these other numbers that you're getting that are so good, there's this anxiety. And I, and I said, yeah, it's because we're doing this thing called steering teams. We've just gotten rid of a bunch of people that people love and that were bringing us incredible ministry, and we've moved it over to the body, and we're just in the beginning of it. And by the way, this is very important, we took this reveal study at our worst possible moment on purpose because we wanted to get a snapshot to see if what we were doing was actually going to make a difference. See what I mean? So we took this at a really tough time. That's why I was so shocked. This was taken in April of 2011, and this was right when steering teams was at its, you know, we were really just starting to implement, and anybody who went through that knew we were hacking through weeds trying to figure out how to do this. And it was a tough time. It still is, but not like it was then. And the bottom line is, for us to have these kind of satisfaction numbers was really surprising. <laughs> Let me take you to another place. You know, I expected in the conversation with Callie, I expected her to do the, you're doing really good. And then, but I was waiting for the shoe, of course. And I was waiting for the dun, dun, dun. Can I just tell you guys, I recorded the whole thing. It never came. And, and this woman said, I, I am, and it was clear that she's not just a nice person trying to be nice. It was clear that she was saying, you guys' profile is totally, she said, I've done thousands of churches. I've never seen a profile like yours, not once. She said, something's going on in your church, which is, which is being indicated. And then I told her what we were doing, and she went, we're doing this with thousands of churches, and everything you're doing is precisely what we're telling our churches that they have to start doing. Exactly what we're telling them that they have to do. Because she's saying, that we're figuring out this is what you need to do in order to, in order to go the right direction. Now, where did we get that? We didn't get it from a study. We got it because we prayed. And we responded. And then we prayed some more. And then God moved. And then we responded. And then, you see what I mean? And that dynamic that kicks in. Look at this chart here. This will be hard for you to see. I'm sorry about that. But I just wanted you to see the actual chart. This is people who say what our top five priorities are. Now, I need to make something clear. This doesn't mean these are the five most important things in the world. It just means... In the first graph here, how important, what, what are the things that your congregation thinks are the most important? And then there's a second column there that says, how satisfied are they with how you're doing with this? See? And then what you get is a score over here, a priority score. And the priority score tells you how much you need to work on this. And if you're a six or above, then you've got a really big problem between what people want and what you're delivering. She said, if you're at five, and she said, you know, the way that we structure the test, everybody's got a few fives. And she said, the fact that you only have one is amazing. And then she said, the second thing is, is that it's that serving culture, so that's your steering teams. That's why it's bumped up to the top. She said, these scores are really strong. It does tell you what to work on, but these are actually really good scores. But here's what she really complimented us on. She said, all the time we find that people in a church say that this is important or this is important or this is important. And what we've discovered is that's not what's actually important. People don't understand what the most important stuff is. She said, with your church, if you look at that important score, your highest one is develop a personal relationship with Christ. She said, that's the one that we want to see at the top of everybody's. <laughs> that's the highest one we want to see because that's what's most important. And then we go to church leaders model how to grow. 
She said transparency is the thing that we're discovering. If the pastors will be transparent and, and communicate and take people on the journey with them and they all go through the journey together, the chances of success go way up. So she said, you're doing great there. Provide compelling worship. This is right at the time when we've lost Troy. <laughs> and people are saying it's important in any way. And then provide a chance to grow with others. Now, how important is that? We've been talking about it. I'm just telling you, I, I, I almost wanted to play the recording just to make you feel good. Because Callie was so complimentary about you. It was just, a, it was amazing to me. But here was the problem. It's now a year and a half later, right when we want to do it, and we want to go to a seminar in Chicago that's going to cost us $2,500 just for the seminar. Then we got to fly people there. Then we have to pay for another survey, which is going to cost us a couple thousand bucks. They gave us the first one free because of steering teams, and they said, we want to see what results look like if people are doing this stuff. You know, and so we got the first one free, but that moment we would get the second one free. So all together, it was about a $5,000 check we were going to have to write in order to get four or five people there in order to figure out what to do with Reveal Next. And I was just sitting there going, I just don't want to spend $5,000 on this right now. I think it's not important, by the way. But I just don't know that we have it. And, you know, if you don't have it, just, we're not the federal government. We can't just print money and do whatever we want. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to stay within your limits. And so, you know what I mean? And I was just, just struggling with it and everything else. And... And all of a sudden, I get called down to 10 days, uh, well, 10 days ago, 10 days ago, I was in uh, at the Foursquare District Office, Dave Veach, because I'm a supervisor of the Eastside Churches. And Dave Veach stands up and says, says this to everybody. It turns out that there's a lot less health in our churches than what we were thinking. And it turns out that we've not had a way to measure what that was so that we were going after the right measurements and not the wrong ones, nickels and noses. He said, that's all we have to judge you on too. But he said, we've been doing some research and in the last couple of years, some people have got a hold of this idea that what you need to measure is how people are doing spiritually. And we believe in this so much that we're going to pay for your supervisor's churches to go through this process. <laughs> I'm saying God went before us. That's a $5,000 savings to us. Because, and I don't, it doesn't cost that much with TCAT, but it would have with Reveal. But anyway, the bottom line is, is that what he said is, is he said, we, and we want you supervisors to do it. Now, now, you need to understand something. Do you realize that most pastors don't want their churches surveyed like this? This is just true. I hate to say this, and I love my fellow pastors. They're awesome people. But do you know what a risk it is to do this kind of thing? It just is. You know what I mean? You get a poor score, the district's going to be looking at it. Sayonara, you know, well, whatever. You know what I mean? Well, it looked like you were doing really good, but really, you're not doing so good, or whatever. I mean, it's, we're human, right? So what happens is, is that he says, look, I, we've got this new thing, and I want you guys to do it, and I want you to show your people I want you to do it, and I want you to demonstrate what it can do so that we can show it to all of our churches, so that we can get all our churches to start understanding that it's important to measure. You'll manage what you measure. If you don't have a way of measuring it, you can't manage it. You can't help get better at it. You can't find out where your problems are. You can't find out what your solutions are if you don't know what your problems are, if you just think what they are. So we're going to do something today. In the way that we've been doing simple sermons, we've been doing shorter sermons, and then we have an experience. Here's what your experience is today. Look in your packet. It's not in the packets? 
Oh, but ushers, thank you for coming forward, okay? Thank you, okay? And what we're going to do is, and can I say something? I was just at this conference, and they were promoting this like crazy at the conference, saying we really want your churches to do this. And, and I started talking about, well, we're going to do it on Sunday morning. And everybody was like, you can't do that on Sunday morning. And, and my response back was, you can't not do that on Sunday morning. How important is this, really? If you, you self-select when you get people that are just coming to something that's after church or some, some other time because there's other people that won't do it. So what we're going to do is take a survey. Now, 